before we get to today's guest, if you find marketing confusing and you aren't sure how to get more leads and clients online in a way that's aligned with your values, book a free call with me to talk over your best options for a heart-centered funnel. That will be at www.increaseyourimpact.life slash book a call. Now on to today's interview for another aspect of Heart Guided Business. All right, we are live. Hello, everyone. I have such a special treat today. We get to speak with a lawyer, which is like, oh, so fancy. <laughs> it's not often. I mean, I do have some friends who are lawyers, but uh, <laughs> very often these days because of all the stuff. Um, yeah, and I'll try to try to not bore you guys to death with the lawyer. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting. Yeah. A lot of us will think about that we have intellectual property as mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, as people who have fully online businesses. I think there's just so much I don't know about the legal side of that and especially IP stuff. So I can't wait to hear what you have to share with us. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm very passionate about helping startups and small businesses and educating them on, you know, just trying to avoid some of the pitfalls that I they see commonly. So I'm really excited to have this forum to do that. Um, so my name is Carrie Seacard. I'm owner of Virtual IP Law. I am a patent attorney, which basically just means I'm an attorney that's also an engineer. Um, I started my own firm in uh, October of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And we've grown from a team of three to uh, we're over 10 people now. So uh, six patent attorneys and some staff. Wow. And a couple and of you told me that you were doing something really different in structuring your own firm, like really <laughs> disrupting the model. Tell me more about that. Yes. Um, so the, the traditional... Uh, law firm is a partnership model, which is great for some people, um, but most of them have an expensive brick and mortar structure that they have to support. So that kind of necessitates having a set minimum number of hours that their attorneys need to, to meet. And then you have a salary that goes along with it, which is usually nice, but the, the expectation can sometimes be pretty daunting. Um, especially for newer associates or maybe, you know, moms or people that, that just don't want to put in 60 to 80 hours a week. They kind of want to have that flexibility. Um, so I started my firm with the idea of being virtual so that we don't have that overhead that, you know, most brick and mortar structures have. We are truly virtual. There is no home base. Our home base is a co-working space. Um, and they do all of the mail management and day-to-day. -day. They do have a conference room for when I need it. So it works works out really well. Okay. I'm glad the home um, base is in your bedroom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> that could be awkward. Um, so, so we do, in theory, have a home base, but, you know, it's at a fraction of the cost compared to having a full office yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's also nice because it gets me into contact with a lot of other businesses and startups that are also using the space. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, so it's kind of a win-win-win for everyone. Um, we don't have to charge as much because we don't have the overhead to sustain. I don't have to have crazy hour requirements for my attorneys. And um, instead, they it's more of a commission basis. 
And I wasn't sure if anyone would would want to do this. And the response has been overwhelming. And it's incredibly rewarding to be able to give people a better place to work. So it's been really great. That is so cool. Yes. I love when you can, <laughs> when you've been immersed in something, you're an expert in it, and you can see like, there's a better way. And we get so trapped and we're used to doing it this way. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, but why don't we try something else? And like, when you have the resources to be able to go, yep, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to try it. Like, I don't need your approval. Let's just test it. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not thankful for the pandemic, but I'm thankful that at least something positive came out of it mm -hmm. um, for me. So I'm grateful for that. And you're so. specializing in IP law specifically? Correct. So um, IP law or intellectual property, there's a lot to it. We primarily focus on patents and trademarks, but we can counsel clients um, pretty much in all areas of intellectual property, including copyrights, trade secrets, things like that. Um, there is a lot to intellectual property. I like to use the analogy of John Deere tractor because everyone knows what a John Deere tractor is. Um, so if there's a lot of intellectual property that could be involved in something as simple as a tractor. So if they came up with some, some new innovation for either manufacturing a tractor, tractor or the tractor itself, you could get a patent on that. Um, the owner's manual that tells you how to fix things, you would maybe want to protect that also. That would be a copyright that generally protects works of art. Ooh. And then the trademark on John Deere itself, the logo John Deere, they also have a trademark the on the green so. and yellow colors. Yeah. Yes. Those are very and distinctive. <laughs> exactly. And it's that in and of itself fascinates me. Um, UPS Brown, what can Brown do for you? You know, it's it just amazing that a color can be so impactful in a particular area. Um, so we, we generally focus on the trademarks, which kind of protect your brand and the patents, which protect your innovations. Um, so today, if this sounds good with you, I was going to just touch on kind of the top misconceptions or pitfalls mm -hmm. that I see, you know, things that you're kind of doing wrong with your intellectual property in the patents and in the trademark space. I love um, that. Okay. I think Perfect. a lot of us as entrepreneurs probably fall into one of two camps. It's either you aren't thinking in terms of the legal protections at all, or you're like obsessed with every single word. Like I can't share it yet. I haven't put the trademark on it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And not everyone needs to get a patent on everything. Not everyone needs to trademark their business name. And that's why I love just connecting with, the, with as many, you know, startups and entrepreneurs as I can to give them that counseling. And even if you don't use me, make sure that you use someone so that you're protecting your rights and you're not making those mistakes. All right, take it away. I'm here to listen. Awesome. <laughs> so speaking of that example you just gave, um, I'm going to start with patents, although this kind of applies to trademarks also. Um, the num One of the top three, uh, no particular order, um, is disclosing your idea, <clears throat> excuse me, before you protect it. So in the in the patent world, um, although it feels like it was just yesterday in 2013, we transitioned to a first to file system, uh, which basically means it's a literal race to the patent office. So if you disclose your idea, 
it's not incredibly risky, but it's risky enough that it's worth it to, to protect yourself and file your own idea. It's possible that someone could take whatever you disclose publicly, maybe even make it better, and then file their own patent or on the same thing. There is a process by which you could try to argue that it was really your invention, but that's very expensive process, much more expensive than just getting your own patent mm -hmm. on file. So that's one concern with if you disclose it before you file a patent. The bigger concern is that if you plan to go, if you plan, let's say you're selling a product and you want to be able to sell it internationally, if you've disclosed it publicly, that actually eliminates your rights in foreign countries. They have a strict bar on public disclosure for patenting it. Wow. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. Um, yeah. yeah, and the in the United States, it starts a one-year clock. So let's say um, on June 1st of 2022, you disclosed the idea. You must file a patent within one year. So by June 1st of 2023, or you will not be able to do so. So there, there's some just limitations in place that I just want to make sure people are aware of so that, you know, and public disclosure doesn't have to be, it's posted on my website. It can be anything that's available to the public. Yeah. So, so even have, Facebook status, if you have not just friends and family, but public or even mm -hmm. with friends and family, does that count too? Anything that's available to the public, if it's limited, so if you're a software company that's doing a beta testing and you have to have a specific code to log in, that's not a public disclosure. Okay. But if you're doing a pitch or a presentation or talking about it, you know, if I was disclosing an idea here, mm -hmm. um, if you're going on Shark Tank, things like that, you know, that's why a lot of times one of the questions they ask is, do you have a patent in place? Because they know that you're disclosing an idea that's maybe not protected. Um, so that's one thing is at least chat with an attorney. Most, you know, everyone, all the attorneys in my firm, most of the colleagues I know in other firms, they will give you at least, you know, 15 to 30 minutes of their time to just ask some of these questions. If you're an entrepreneur, I'm always more than happy to jump on a call with someone just to make sure that, you know, is this really a disclosure? Um, you can also file what's called an NDA. That's a term that's kind of thrown around a non-disclosure agreement that will prevent that disclosure from being considered public. Oh, I've heard of so, NDAs in other contexts, but I've yes. not heard of it used that way. Yes. Yep. So that's one way you can avoid your idea being um, considered a public disclosure. Mm. Um, another thing I hear often is that patents are too expensive. Um, patents can be expensive. If you're, you know, a big company, you're going to want to have that $10,000, $30,000 patent that really covers your product, all the bells and whistles, your Cadillac Escalade, if you will. You can also get a, you know, a, a moped will get you from A to B just as well as a Cadillac Escalade will, but maybe it's just covering two wheels in the frame and it's not covering all the bells and whistles. So as a startup, um, my favorite thing about being a startup myself is that we're be able to be flexible with our pricing so that we don't have like a one cost for all. That's kind mm -hmm. of one of the other downsides to the traditional, you have to, you know, charge a certain amount per patent for it to be worth it for you. 
um, we don't have those same restrictions. So we're able to kind of work with clients with whatever their budget is or provide suggestions for, okay, maybe you do this. And then in a year, you know, try to get funding over the next year to make this happen. Mm. Um, so I think, and, and we're not the only firm that's like that. There are a lot of firms out there that will work with you. So, um, I always encourage people to just get multiple quotes from multiple people, talk to a lot of attorneys, find someone that you like working with. Um, it's like, just like anything, some are better than others. You know, there's a mechanic that will try to sell you every part on your car. And there's a mechanic that will just sell you what you need. Attorneys can be the same way. So just, um, I encourage people to talk to a couple, unless it's me. You only need to talk to me. But even, you know, even if you talk to me, talk to someone else just to see if they have, you know, a different point of view. Most of the time when I talk to people, they say, oh, no one told me about that. No one told me about that. Um, but I encourage people to get as much information as you can from as many people as you can. Um, just verify it for sure. Um, and then the the other thing that I commonly see with patents is that I don't want to bother getting a patent. It's the only thing I can do with a patent is sue, you know, is sue someone else. And that's really not true. Only it's less than 1% of patents are actually litigated or enforced in lawsuits. Um, so 99% are, are just out there. The, the biggest value in a patent is being able to license it. So, I mean, think of some of the big companies like Adobe, how many, I mean, I have an Adobe license, right? A Microsoft office, things like that. So being able to license your idea and you can license it multiple times and it becomes a passive stream of income for a lot of businesses, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can sell it. Some patents are sold for multi-million dollars. Um, and that, that kind of goes with trademarks as well. But just kind of want to debunk that myth that the only thing you can do with a patent is sue on it. There's definitely a lot of other advantages to it. Um, so moving on to trademarks, a few of the, few of the mistakes or misconceptions I see there. Um, also the same one I see in patents that it's, you know, I only want to have a trademark if I want to sue someone else. It's actually not true. It can really add a lot of value to your brand. Um, take Amazon, for example, the word Amazon in and of itself really has no value, but when you tie it to the goods and services that Amazon provides, it's a multi-billion dollar word, just the word itself. Mm. Um, so I think there can be a lot of value, especially if you're going to be nationwide. Are you, you know, are you only selling to clients in one state, which very few of us are in this, you know, day and age. Most of us are on online. We're selling to clients in multiple states, sometimes all 50 states. Then you really want to consider filing that trademark so you have that protection. Um, and that another filing it on your business name. On your business name or a logo, um, it can be, so there are phrase, multiple maybe. types of a phrase, tagline, color, um, <laughs> sound, the Pillsbury Doughboy, 
Hmm. I can't do it well, but that's, okay, that's a tra- food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a, that is owned by uh, Pillsbury. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have a sound. There, there's lots of ways to protect trademarks. Um, the interesting thing with trademarks is they need to be used the same consistently for them to be enforceable. So. Um, sometimes you'll see companies go through rebranding, but it can be challenging. Most of the time, if you see a trademark like Coca-Cola, it's the same, that script, it's the same every time. Mm. Um, and Nike, the Nike swoosh, that's recognizable almost immediately. You know, that's Nike with literally just a swoosh. Uh, Nike, by the way, is very litigious. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to go after anything at all that has just blank it like there was a uh plant and succulent company in california that recently was shut down because they were operating under just suck it s-u-c-c for succulents and they applied for a trademark and nike shut them down <laughs> I was like, that's kind of a stretch i don't know if i really would expect that to be associated with nike uh, yeah, i don't planned. know but that that <laughs> grammatical structure is so unusual though i think it does tie to nike like it clearly was inspired by them using it kind of like the got milk when those commercials first came out in the 90s and i was like what the heck does that mean what do you mean got milk but it became huge and people use it with other things and you can see how they took that and stepped (laughs) you know to their theme with it Mm -hmm. And the, on the flip side of that, what's really interesting about trademarks is it's kind of a fine line because you can go so far if you're making fun of or a parody mm-hmm. of the actual trademark, that's okay because it it's clearly not associated with the actual trademark. Um, so my favorite so example- So many YouTubers like arguing about this and trying to figure this out. <laughs> Yeah, my, my favorite one is there was a coffee shop that opened up that was Starbucks sucks or something like that. And they were allowed to operate because they said, well, it's clearly associated. It has to be clearly associated with the trademark, but also clearly not the source of the goods. So Starbucks would never open up a shop called <laughs> Starbucks sucks. Not I mean, I don't argument. know. They, they could be sneaky. <laughs> That was their argument and it worked. I, I just, oh, I love that one. <laughs> that's incredible. Well, I would not be brave enough to give that a try. <laughs> Neither would I, unless, I mean, Starbucks has some deep pockets. And that's the other thing is, you know, just, yeah, you may win the battle, but at what cost? I mean, if you're up against a really big party, they can drag that out for a very long time. Um, yeah. So sometimes it's just not worth the fight. That's, that's the other reason why I encourage entrepreneurs and startups to file in the trademark space what's called an intent-to-use trademark. And mm-hmm. that basically means I'm intending to use this in commerce, but I'm not using it yet. Mm-hmm. It used to take two to three months to hear back. It's now six to 12 months because there's a backlog at the trademark office. But if there is, if they find another mark that's conflicting or someone else can what's called oppose the mark, um, then then they can kick it out. 
Uh, one of my favorite examples is Apple Live Photos. Um, if you have an iPhone, they can take what's called Live Photos, mm -hmm. and it's basically just a mini video clip, but they call it Live Photos. They applied for a trademark for Live Photos for, for that use as a shortened video clip, and it was approved by the trademark office, but um, after it's approved, they publish it for opposition for 30-day period. It's a very short window and it was opposed um so Someone must have been paying attention so, yes and it was and actually anyone can oppose it so it was a completely independent third party and they opposed it um because the trademark can't be descriptive of the goods or services you're providing so live photos and they were able to argue this is pretty descriptive of a live photo, right? <laughs> yeah, of that um, experience of that type of photo, yeah. Exactly. And so the trademark office will actually not allow you to get a trademark on a term that is descriptive of the goods or services you're providing. Okay, I guess I can see that because if I'm going yes. to my friend to like trying to say, oh, it's that thing that does blah, 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 blah. Oops, trademarked. That, that mm -hmm. would be awkward. Exactly. And um sometimes terms can become so well known that they become descriptive like velcro they've been fighting that for a very long time oh, they want okay. you to so call it a hook and loop fastener that's a mouthful <laughs> exactly. i'd always heard that with things like xerox and like that the company name is, and they're going to lose Kleenex. their trademark because it's come into common usage yes but I it's actually know what that process was that was causing that to happen so. Yeah, and that's it's actually gen, uh, becomes generic for the product, mm. but um, so that's a different issue from being descriptive. It's like brand, I build your brand really well, but not too well. Exactly, not too well. So that becomes rollerblade. That it happened with rollerblade. It's so that's why you want to say um, rollerblade roller skates or Kleenex tissues, Velcro fasteners. So you, you want to use it as a trademarked term, but you don't want it to become like the verb, like the mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. So it's definitely tricky. This is... Um, no wonder we need to consult you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or at least just know about it and start doing some research. There are some really good blogs out there. Um, one of the blogs that I subscribe to, it's not mine, um, but it's T-Tab blog, T-T-A-B-L-O-G. Um, the trademark uh, portion of the Patent and Trademark Office basically just has an appeal board. It's called the T-Tab, and they issue opinions on um, just opposite. A lot of them are things that there's an opposition involved where one is contesting another, and they just up issue opinions and the T-Tab blog just talks about them and you get a really good, really quick synopsis about uh, what happened. And I just love it. One of one of my favorites from recently was um, someone tried to register the name Pisterine for mouthwash and it was a yellow mouthwash <laughs> and Listerine objected and this ended up being a T-Tab, like it went all the way to the T-Tab. <laughs> Oh and they gosh. ended up losing because there was a likelihood of, if there's a likelihood of confusion with your trademark. Yeah, you it sounds so similar to the Starbucks example of like parody. 
Yeah, very that's tricky. why it's a very fun. Yeah. yeah, and there's you would line. literally need a crystal ball. It's one of those. It's so so fact specific and case specific. Mm. Um, but in general, it's it's just not a good idea to pick a fight unless you're ready for the fight. I mean, yeah, if, if that's you're your plan. like, <laughs> but if you're trying to fly under the radar, like don't yeah. don't expect that you'll be able to do that. Yeah, if you, you have a spend... full time person who's monitoring for these things. Yes. If you want to spend 200k defending Pistarine, have at it, but <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Probably not a good, maybe it is a good marketing strategy. I don't know, but um, <laughs> I really would not recommend it. So, so that was kind of segued into my second pitfall is just don't pick a name that's descriptive. The best names are made up names. Um, the caveat to that is if you don't care about getting a trademark, I have some clients that say really doesn't matter if my name changed. People come to me because of who, because I'm John Doe. They don't come to me because I'm Billy's shop or what, you know, Billy's automotive shop. They come to me because I'm John Doe, even though it's this name. So if you really don't care, if you're only operating in one state, it's fine. Um, the descriptiveness is kind of a catch-22 because it's it's you can't protect it, which is not great. But at the same token, no one else can really protect it. So you're probably safe to use it. Mm. So you're safe using it from the standpoint of you don't want to be stepping on anyone else's toes in the name that you choose. But you know, you're probably not going to be able to protect it. So, you know, uh, Pepsi, that has absolutely nothing to do with soda. Uh, thing, you know, so yeah, it's, it's I think a it's a made-up made name. Did yep. Amazon struggle with that at all? Because they kind of recreated the definition from the Amazon rainforest into a right. whole new word, kind of. Yeah, I don't think so. And that's actually a good one because it's really not descriptive at all of what they're doing. So, you know, Am Amazon is not them, like loosely tying it to the word in the beginning. Their first ads were like, you know, we're we're going to need the whole rainforest space to hold all these books. Right. Right. That's probably why they shifted away from that. <laughs> <laughs> we're not cutting down the rainforest. We just need that much space. Yeah. Then they yeah. changed it to like. We'll, we'd need all of Mars to store the, the number of books that we have or something like right, that. Right, right. Tried to remember from 20 years back, but I think it was something along those lines. Yep. And it can be suggestive. So that's what's, you know, like they were probably trying to get people to make that connection. Like oh, Amazon is big. Yeah. big. yeah. So it can be suggestive, but it can't be merely descriptive of what's going on. Mm. Um. And then the other, uh, the last mistake that we touched on a little bit, but I just wanted to highlight was choosing a name that sounds like or looks like another name. Mm. So like Nike's just do it. So I wouldn't pick anything that is just blank it. Uh, you'll, you'll get in trouble. Um, a common mistake I see with that is um, if there's a misconception that if it is spelled differently, that mm -hmm. it is okay. And in the trademark world, it's not only does it look the same, but it's also does it sound the same. Mm -hmm. 
So when you're thinking about picking a name, if you see something that um, said that has um, one day at a time and you think, okay, instead I'm going to replace one with the number one and I'm going to replace time with a clock. So it's one day at a time with a watch. That's still too confusingly similar, even though you've made some changes you could mm. maybe try to get a trademark on that stylized, you know, if it's some special font, but you would have to use it in that font every single time. So um, that one's a little tricky to try to briefly touch upon, but I just want to, you know, if it's, if it's spelled for, um, you also have to look for companies that have the number four or F-O-U-R or F-O-R-E. <laughs> so it's not just exact same spelling. Um, sometimes it can be, you know, uh, anything that sounds the same. So, yeah. yeah. I actually, I did hear about it. Wasn't it was more recently than Amazon from 20 years ago, but, um, the wounded warrior project, I've just listened to an interesting YouTube deep dive about their business practices and how they, uh, they started suing people for having charities with a similar, name and it got into all kinds of those sorts of issues like the phrase wounded warrior is a frequently used one that they didn't make up mm -hmm. but it is also very strongly associated with their charity but it's also like it looks weird to have a charity suing other charities like which, <laughs> why are you spending money on that and not helping people so it was very <laughs> fascinating to hear about yeah it is very fascinating um both patents and trademarks, but trademarks seem to have some pretty interesting, interesting ones out there. Lots of nuances to it, for sure. Um, oh, the other, the other one I just wanted to quickly touch base on is um, there is no correlation between the state trademark and the federal trademark. So oftentimes I will chat with um, business owners who go to the Secretary of State. And most of them will have a business search and a trademark search for the state. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're separate, depends on the state. I'm in New Hampshire, um, it's a separate search for each one. And um, there is no correlation between that state trademark search and the federal trademark search. A lot of people think, okay, they're gonna do a federal search to see if there are any federally registered marks before I go ahead and register. And, and that's just not the case. So I'm, I'm registered as a business virtual IP law in New Hampshire. Um, I don't have a federal trademark, but if I wanted one, uh, it would be federally on virtual IP law. However, someone could go down in Florida and register with the secretary of state as virtual IP law. And there's nothing there. They won't get kicked back. And there's very little I can do to stop them from using it. Oh, interesting. So once they start using it, I can go after them, but yeah. only okay. with the federal trademark. So um, the the one other piece I want to make sure I mention is um, there's just a lot to the and I, I if I haven't already <laughs> said it, everything I, know, I know right um, is just that um, oh gosh I lost it so sorry. Um, this is about the state trademarks. That's okay. Um, I, I don't want to overload you guys with info anyway, but, uh, just, just to keep in mind that 
oh, the use. Use is only tied to where you're using it. So, um, the, so if you are very local and you're focused locally, yep. it might not be that big a deal if somebody's using the same name in the other across the country, 3,000 exactly. miles away from you. Exactly. And but most of someone, us are doing business online. <laughs> exactly. And the biggest advantage to having the federal trademark is that it prevents others. You have a right to use it anywhere in the United States. So even if you're only using it in, let's say, New England, you're in New Hampshire and Massachusetts, you're only using it in those two states, you can prevent other people in California from using it. Um, mm. It's actually, hap it happens to restaurants all the time. Oh, happens, wow. hap it's happened to a few restaurants in New Hampshire. They get hit with a cease and desist from a restaurant in California um, that's operating with the same name. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we have a question here. Oh, are there many companies who are using state trademarks? The, there are some companies that use state trademarks. That's typically if you are only operating within the state and you don't plan to work, plan to work or have clients outside of the state. Per, uh, some examples are banks. Most banks are on, only within a particular state, but they will have a trademark because they may have multiple locations. Um, okay. So it really for depends. For most of on us, it's like forget the state, focus on the federal. Yes. The so in New Hampshire. Um, so the cost for filing federally is minimally more than filing in just one state. So you're, if you meet the threshold of having use in commerce, which basically just means that you have sales or advertising in multiple states, um, mm -hmm. then you, uh, you can apply for the federal trademark. Okay. So, but if you don't meet that threshold, it would be worth filing in your state if you want to prevent anyone else from using in that state. Wow. There is so Thank much you. to know. I yes. um, my head is spinning a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not too bad. Trying to kind of graze the surface. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those people who has not considered it at all, but I, uh, I have a friend, colleague, potential client, Who's like, I can't tell you about my thing because I'm trying to trademark it. So exactly. I sent her your email, but I don't know if she's going to reach out. Like, okay. awesome. Yeah, um, I'm I'm trying to ramp up my content on our website just to get a lot more of this info out there yeah, um, and yeah. to give people a resource. So we're, we're working on ramping that up. So an ideal first step for people would probably be to give you a call lay out their individual specific situation and questions and then see where to go from there. Yes. And I can kind of walk them through. This is what I think you should do. This is what I think you can hold off on. There are even things that you can do yourself. Um, and so I'm more than happy to chat with anyone. Okay. I think we put your calendar link in the description, but I'll have to double check for that. Awesome. <laughs> Make sure that um, yeah, our website also has a link directly on the homepage to schedule a free consultation. Oh, perfect. So, Excellent. Yes. And that's awesome. just virtualiplaw.com? It's virtualiplc.com. Okay, virtualiplc.com. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Right. Thank you for this fascinating topic. Yes. I love Thank you for having me. <laughs> 
that flew by. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna awesome. end here. And Great, we'll... thank you. All right, and uh, audience, I will see you Monday.